0: Hey everyone, welcome to This is Stuff Sober, a weekly podcast for those in need of some sober support. In this week's episode, I chat with Duncan. I met Duncan through Instagram, a shocker, I know. There is something about Duncan's desire to be vulnerable on social media that drew me to him. His authenticity just shines. I didn't know exactly how this conversation with Duncan was going to go, but what I did know is it was going to be insightful, inspiring, and valuable, not only for me, but for you as the listener as well. And it was exactly that. At almost nine months sober, he is smashing it, and his new perspective on life is awe-inspiring. Duncan... Thank you so much for sharing your amazing realizations around sobriety and living in the present moment. This conversation is one that will live rent-free in my mind forever, and I am so glad that we get to share it with this amazing sober community. This is Duncan Sober.
1: Steph, hello. Hello. No, from London.
0: Hello from Omaha, Nebraska.
1: Do you know what? I, I know I had seen where you are from somewhere on one of your posts, but I've been wanting to know. I don't even know where that is. That just sounds so far away. It Nebraska. is. Wow.
0: It's like pretty much, pretty much dead center of the United States.
1: And do I get the feel that you're in farming? Is it farming, Bill? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Where I live... In Omaha, Omaha is probably, I think it is the biggest city in Nebraska. So it's, is it is a city suburb feel here, but once you get outside of Omaha, it is cattle and cornfields. Like that is the rest of the state. So
2: is, is that I, listen,
0: thing? Omaha chose me. I did not choose Omaha. I actually, <laughs> I was born and raised in Illinois, which really isn't much different. Climate-wise and such, but my husband's job brought us here, so it's been good. It's a good place. It's actually kind of a hidden gem. Most people don't really understand like what goes on in Omaha or what Omaha's about, but um, it's growing constantly. There's lots to do. Um, so it's kind of like I don't know, nice little secret. I don't know.
1: I, li- I live in a nice little secret too.
0: Yeah, we're so I. I have met so many people from the UK and I know nothing about the UK and I'm I'm slowly r- learning lots of things about it. So where exactly are you? Because it's very, it's smaller over there than I actually even realized.
1: Well, so you could probably put the whole of the UK in your backyard. Right. You know, <laughs> we're ditchy, aren't we? So yeah. I'm just outside London. Oh, okay. And I'm in a, I'm in a curious little suburb of London that you would drive through and not really know that anything's here. But when you discover this little bit of London, it's a tiny little bit, you know, just a few miles. Um, everybody who moves here never really moves away from here. It's a, it's like a people, people don't realize it's here. They drive through it. They don't really even know what they're driving through, but there's a lovely little vibe here. It's a nice community and um, it's a cool place to live. It's close enough to London that everything that's crazy in city is accessible. And it's just on the outside so that when you want to get out to the countryside, that's also cool.
2: That's really cool. So
1: it's not so day-to-day schools and all that sort of stuff. It's not so crazy here as it is in the mm-hmm. city.
0: Yeah. So
1: you,
0: so you kind of do you do you live like are there a lot of houses around you or are you kind yes. of secluded? Yeah. yeah.
1: A lot of lot of houses, no high-rise. Um, a lot of houses, just houses, 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 in fact. But no businesses. Huge, huge park, massive park with people. Oh, yeah travel from miles to come to um, and uh, so we're very fortunate it's a cool little spot I have to live here I would rather live somewhere like where you do I would prefer to be in the wilderness I'm not saying you're in the wilderness but you know those but my wife she's a culture vulture she she needs to get her fix of museums art shows theater so I'm marooned here
0: yeah but it sounds like you guys are kind of in a good spot then because you're close enough to London. I'm guessing yeah. London has yeah. that for her. And it's a good compromise.
1: Yeah. Good compromise.
0: That's awesome. So let's Sorry. let I mean let's talk about why we are friends now, sobriety. And amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? I've Sobri- met so many cool people, including you. And I'm I, I love that we get to do this today and I get to know you even better.
1: Oh, Oh, for, correct me if I'm wrong, but is today your fifth centenary? Yeah. It is.
0: Yeah, 500 days
1: today. And I get the honor of being on your show. You do. On your 500th day. High five. High five. Am I allowed to swear, by the way? You're allowed to swear. swear. Am I?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fucking high five. Let it fly. <laughs> oh, I'll try and but- keep it low, but I, I do love to swear. But fucking hell. 500 days I mean on one level, everybody goes oh that's awesome that's awesome which of course it is but by 500 you've settled into a pattern of life it's not like 501 is another amazing victory because but on the other hand you are building on what you've already achieved it's a funny thing isn't it
0: it is the day count is it's controversial i feel like there's people that are like are just all about counting their day having their day count and then there's people that are like well i don't need to count i think it's 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 a personal thing this one feels like i i i don't keep a day count like i used to in the beginning it's like what kept me going right it was that build that consistency and knowing and, but now it's like I sometimes forget where I'm at because I have built such a great foundation now that doesn't revolve around like obsessing over staying sober. Like I feel confident that I'm going to stay sober now, but to hit 500 days, I mean, come on, that's a big deal. Like, I don't care. I don't care if you're counting or not. Like that is, yeah. I love round numbers. I love big numbers. Like that's just, it's exciting.
1: So you're going to be counting in terms of years. I mean, you're already counting years now. You're one. Yeah over one year. So little move. I think counting was much more important. Day one was a big count. Like, oh my gosh, I made it to day two. Mm-hmm. That was such a huge thing. And, um, and then of course, day one, two, three, those early days, they just tell you, yeah, you can do it again. You can do it again. And um, no. but I'm not quite sure when I, when I transitioned away from that to thinking, do you know what? I'm so confident I will never drink again the rest of my life. It's almost pointless counting it, but I do still. Yeah,
0: yeah. What kind of drinker were you? Were you a daily drinker? Because you said saying getting through one day was a big deal.
1: Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't the occasional binge drinker. I was the all the time drinker. So, I would. But having said that, people wouldn't really know me to be drunk. Um, mm. I was high achieving as I was you know I run the household I do the shopping the cooking I'm the socialite I'm running a business I'm I've got my activities in the local community but I would be drinking throughout it all actually if I had a heavy work day I would I'd be up from say four or five a.m get my work done get my work done with the idea of can I drink yet can I drink it? No, I get all the tricky stuff done, then a reward into the drink. And then- How early would, be- would
0: that start for you? So, cause <laughs> you're up at four or five in the morning getting everything done.
1: So it would, I never drank at four or five in the morning, ever, right. which is one of the few times I didn't. Um, so I would suggest to myself, my, my routine would be get to work four or five, get my stuff done, go to the gym around about nine, head to the gym all morning, come back, have lunch as I open my first beer. And that would really set the pace throughout the rest of the day. But there are always exceptions. My wife, if she, she would sort of say, oh, I'm off to work at nine o'clock, give me a kiss, goodbye. And I'd think, fuck the gym, let's open a beer. And I would start then. And, I uh, find
0: this. I find this interesting because... We we build our lives around alcohol pretty quickly when we become dependent on it. And we find like all these little rules and things and all of that. I wasn't a daily drinker, but I did kind of something very similar to what you're explaining because I was a binge drinker. So I would kind of, I usually started on Thursday, thirsty Thursday was it. So I would front load my week with all of the challenging things in life, right? Like appointments, things that I didn't want to feel because I knew I was going to feel like shit. I would front load my week with all the all the all the difficult things, all the things that I needed to get done, so that by Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I could just binge out, drift off, not have to worry about anything. And it's crazy. Five hundred days in, I still find myself front loading my week. Like that is, it's become it became such a habit of me, and I don't need to do it anymore. But I still find myself doing. Do you find that still in your day to day?
1: Yes. Um, Yeah, because I've replaced alcohol with something else. Whatever it is, I've replaced alcohol with something else. And it's something else that I now want to spend my time doing. So I work, I'm an early riser anyway. So fitting in my work then fits very nicely indeed. Uh, I feel I have the day to myself. I have no competition, everybody's asleep and the day is fresh and Mm -hmm. I just get all my stuff done. I feel psychologically, by the time everybody else's day starts, I'm ahead of the game. And then it's me time. So uh, I like that. I will continue to do that, I'm sure. In fact, you know, if I ever have to fully retire, goodness knows what I'll do with that time in the morning because it's, it is a good time. <laughs> You'll find something. I will find something. But I suppose the habit of front-loading the day does continue. I'm, I'm, good, with that. I'm
2: mm-hmm. good
1: with that. Although, am I good with that? Yeah, yeah. I, I've got lots of things now competing for my time. Since I've been sober, I have a lot of interests have developed, and um, yes, yeah, so I, I actually will it continue. I will always be an early riser. I would like to change it. Actually, I think I'm thinking. You know, sometimes when we talk, it's the first time we hear our own thoughts. Yeah, I'm not going to change what I said. I think I think I want it to change. I don't want to front load. I want to get to a place where I can just gently get through all the things I want to be getting through without favoring something or or not so a very balanced day balanced week you know
0: me too I think that's what we all want though because we were so unbalanced before so unbalanced alcohol
1: one why why did you I'm curious of binge drinkers I met one at this party which I'm sure you're going to ask me about and I was talking to him and he said I've got no time for one beer go to the pub for a beer what's what's that there's no point there's nothing in there for me he wants to drink 2,000 beers so Mm -hmm. um What was the motivation for you ordering your week like that? Why, why the three or four days binge?
0: Yeah. You know, in, in reflecting on it, I was self-medicating with alcohol. I had really bad anxiety. And so it took a lot of alcohol to like, basically just get me to the point where I wasn't feeling anxious, but I wasn't feeling anything right. I'm blacking out. I'm numb. And so I think for me, I couldn't do that every day. I wouldn't be able to function. And there was a part of me that knew I didn't want, I thought I was in control by doing it that way, I guess. And I, a lot of my anxiety came around socializing. So what do I do more on the weekends? I'm socializing more. So I, it was definitely a self-medicating thing. But then I also think there is just a part of my brain that is addicted to it. Like one isn't enough. Once I have one, and get that, that dopamine and all of that, it's just, my brain turns on and it's like more, 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 more. It was a big struggle for me because moderation, I tried and tried and tried and it's, I, the best thing I ever did was just give up on moderating because you want to talk about driving yourself crazy and making yourself feel like a failure. Try moderating when your brain isn't built to moderate. It's just, it's no, there's no point.
1: I, I hear you. I'm, I'm also, I also proved to be hopeless at moderating. I think I could get addicted to anything. My wife tells me I could get addicted yeah. to opening a door. I mean, really, nothing's beyond me. Uh, but I'm changing that mindset very much so. I, I do feel that, actually, I love the fact that I got into trouble with alcohol because getting out of trouble with alcohol has led to me sorting out a whole load of other back-end issues that were just quietly ticking along, fucking my life up mm-hmm. on the inside that I completely didn't clock. Uh, so yeah. Yeah.
0: So you say getting in trouble with alcohol. Tell me more about this. Like what was your what was your reason to stop? For, for to stopping.
1: Stop. Mm-hmm. Um so you know they say alcohol is an elevator that just goes down. So I was, I think that's a very fair thing to say. And I was in that elevator and I was going down. Alcohol's a canny, creepy little friend that just gradually takes ground. Uh, You're sort of heading downwards in this elevator without really realizing it. You don't think, I didn't think I had a problem. I thought I was in control. I thought I was making the choices for X, Y, Z reasons. And uh, I really didn't think I had a problem. And then my wife would say, you're drinking too much. Or my mom, I took my mom out for lunch, and she was like flabbergasted at how much I would drink. And I, I just thought she's out of touch. And yeah, Karina, no, honestly, I'm fine. I'm fine. But um, so I think it got to the point where my wife's very good. She never, never lectures me or gets on my back too much because she understands from my cigarette days and my drug days that that really doesn't didn't help. So, but she would mention it now and again. So I, I thought, okay, do you know what? I will, maybe I need to, she would say, you don't have to drink every day. I go, okay, maybe I'll try not to drink every day. Probably because I put on weight and I thought that would do, that'd be good to not drink every day, just at weekends. I couldn't do it. So then I thought, okay, I'll, I won't drink before 6 p.m. I couldn't do it. So I'm beginning to get a feel for the fact that maybe I do have a problem getting a sense of it, but still not really accepting I had a problem.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And um, I think I then said, right, I'm going to give myself a break. In fact, three years ago, I managed to take a break, specifically because I wanted to lose weight and do more at the gym. And it was a real hard graph, but I managed to go 60 days. And... It was so good. It just, that six days came to the end just before Christmas. And I thought, fine, I'm going to let Christmas out of the bag and get back on it afterwards. And two years later, um, I'm saying, I must not. I must try and give myself another break. I must, two years later, you know, daily saying this to myself. So I then said to myself, I am, I'm going to take a 30-day challenge. Annie Grace's book had popped up. I'm going to do Annie Grace's book, 30 Day Alcohol Challenge, but that kept getting put back. I'll do it. Um, I'll do it now. I'll do it. I'll do it in time for my holiday. And then the holiday would come. I'll do it at the end of the holiday. I, and then I think I got to the end of the holiday, and I just thought I could just see this date sliding and sliding and sliding. I thought, right, I'm doing it now. And I set out to do the 30 Day Alcohol Challenge, which I did. It was um, it was gruesome. And difficult and um, painful and uncomfortable. But I did it. And then I thought I'm gonna keep going. And I think, I think round about day, round about 45 days, it was beginning t- to click with me that um, I had a problem. I had because it took so much effort to get away from it. And by that stage, my my thinking is becoming a little bit more clear. I think the addictive alcohol voice is beginning to uh, diminish. I'm beginning to have a find my own voice,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and I think I think around right about that time I decided I'm not going back to drink. I, did I believe I could do it 100? percent Probably not, but I was beginning to lay my stall out that that was my goal, and um, and then it just it just kept getting better from there. I mean, I personally have had a great sober experience i think it hasn't been easy but it's been brilliant one thing has built on top of the next Uh, doors have opened i've had huge realizations of how my life is improved in places that really i'm so surprised yeah um, because i didn't i didn't see what was suffering in my alcohol life I didn't spot the corrosion, I didn't spot the rust, I didn't spot the splintering of relationships, of work, of, of everything I find that, that is of value to me. It, they were, I was holding them together with glue, thinking I was getting away with it. But really, truly, I'm, I'm so glad I got out the elevator when I did, because I think everything was pretty much at breaking point. Had I stayed in that elevator much longer, I think there would have been some big fallout. So, oh my gosh, Steph, I got out just in fucking time.
0: Yeah, this sounds like it. I mean, when you say like all the realizations that come and having that that alcohol voice, some people call it the wine witch or whatever you want to call it. When you stop fueling that voice in your head and and then the real you starts getting louder and louder and louder like you know those first 30 to 45 days of sobriety. that's the sweet spot I think most people don't understand like that's when there's this little war going on in your head and you have to keep feeding that sober voice. listen to that one keep listening to that one because you you do you have like these two conflicting voices going on one saying, this is what we want doesn't this feel good? This is great you deserve this keep going. the other one's like, yeah, but you know what? You've done 30 days now. Like, you don't have a problem. You've proved you haven't had a problem, it's you know, like Yeah, you should have a drink. You can do it. Like, you'll be fine. You're being too dramatic. And if I can tell anybody, it's like when you have those two conflicting voices, keep listening to the sober one. That's that's the path you need to choose, and I think it makes a huge difference in going back or or moving forward. Because it does, it keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And the other one just starts to fade out.
1: That that one that needs to fade out, my big, if I was to give anybody advice, it would be you don't get into conversation with that voice. I tried- you know, it's a clever, clever voice. I mean, if only we had it as a politician to try and right. sort of, actually, no, we wouldn't want it as a politician. No, we at all. I but think some of our
0: politicians are that voice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such, it's such a, a sneaky, clever, clever voice, that you don't want to get into discussion with it. I wouldn't let it even finish the first syllable of the first right. word. That's, the only way the moment I say the moment I I explain why I'm shutting it down, I get into conversation and I've, it's only a matter of time I've lost. Yeah, so it's just nope. I just I, I I would swear at it. I would just say fuck off. I don't do that shit anymore. Right. And I would move exactly.
0: My I always say it's it's the toddler. I treat it like a toddler that's wanting its pacifier or whatever, and it's like no, that's not an option anymore. So figure something else out because yeah, that's kind of how I would be with it too. Like. No, drinking's not an option. We're not doing that anymore. So what else can we do? You know, like done, yeah, and you have to be that way with yourself. like you just do you have to parent yourself. you have to treat yourself like you would treat someone else that you really love and want them to improve their life. like you have to be there because no one else is no one else can do that for you. No one else can no, live in you your head.
1: You're almost like, um split personality, don't we yeah.
0: yes it's it's crazy. do you feel like you have found who you really, really are, like, at your core since getting sober. I f- I feel like I have found the real me, like, who I was before I started drinking and all those, like, passions and things that alcohol just stole from me have come rushing back in my sobriety.
1: Well, I'm at a strange place in my journey, Steph, to answer that question. So I'm tempted mm-hmm. to say yes, I think, on one level. I, the don't, I, Duncan, me, I, I'm I'm a nice guy. I'm I, I'm kind. I'm I care. I'm loving. You know, he was there in in alcohol, albeit disabled. So he he's back now. But I have a, I I could take this conversation. We could go a little bit more existential because right now I am wondering who the real Duncan is mm-hmm. because um, I don't want to talk too much about anxiety because I know you've just done it. It's fine. Yeah. About anxiety. And we ought to do different ground. But I could talk a lot about anxiety because it's an an area that has really held me back and does hold me back. In fact, talking to you right here and right now um, is an extraordinary victory for me. Because although you might see me when I do my little videos, Mm -hmm. I don't struggle with anxiety there. But the moment it goes wider or live in any way, shape or form suddenly oh my gosh you know um it's a big problem but i'm learning to deal with that it's all again it's a thing that's come out of sobriety i'm learning to focus i'm learning to think differently about myself which leads into your question of have i discovered who i am because i'm questioning who i am Mm -hmm. in that i am not my thoughts my thoughts are are out of control i think my thoughts should be a tool like a saw, like a drill, like a mixer, that I pick up, do the thing, have a think about something, solve a problem, put it down. But, um, and who's doing the picking up, and putting down? The real me. But my thoughts have been have been so unbridled, have run amok like a crazy mob, uncontrolled, undisciplined for so long, that that's, that's all I see in my viewfinder, all these crazy thoughts are just, I'm a big thinker. Bang, bang, bang! They're always happening, and they're not all good. Some of them, you know, will be will lead to lots of anxieties, or you're shit, or you're an imposter, or you don't know what you're talking about, or someone else is better. You, you know, all those sorts of things. Or going to a party, you know, no one's going to like you. You know, all these anxiety thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, but um, so I'm learning to still those thoughts. Because and and I'm discovering, I'm discovering. So I haven't discovered. I'm I'm in the process of finding. I think the real me behind those thoughts, Mm -hmm. the real me Mm -hmm. that should be in the driving seat of my life, and has been contributing because it's the it's the beautiful bit. But needs a needs a needs a better a better role.
0: Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Though Um, I struggle with those thoughts as well. They, I have, I still tackle them daily, but I, I tackle them way better than when I was drinking. I think once again, the alcohol fueled those thoughts and just amplified them and made them worse. Um, one thing that I do all the time is challenge these thoughts that are beliefs, right. That they've just kind of been instilled either by my parents or society and things like that. And that's how I am. Getting to the core of like who I am, like what do I really believe in? And so I challenge them. You know, when something comes up that's negative and is making me feel anxious, I always am like, is it true? Who told me that? You know, with questions like that, because we can start believing everything that pops into our mind. And it's a rabbit hole. Like it just gets chaotic in our in our minds. But I have found. There are a lot of beliefs that have caused a lot of anxiety and stress for me that have no validation to who I am at my core. And it is a beautiful, scary thing to start challenging those things within myself.
1: Can and you, to... Are you able to give me an example of one? I'll
0: give you a, sm- like a small one. My daughter was sick one day. She didn't feel well. Now, she didn't have a fever. She wasn't throwing up. She had none of that stuff. She wanted to stay home from school. And my knee-jerk reaction is like, no, she's probably just not wanting to go for a test or whatever. She's just trying to get out of school. She seems fine. She looks fine. I should make her go to school. But I don't really believe that. That's how I was raised, right? My mom would tell me, you either have to have a fever or be throwing up. Otherwise, you're going to school. As an adult, I've always treated myself differently. I've always taken days when I need a break because we do, we all feel shit sometimes and just need a break. And so I had to stop myself from that knee-jerk reaction of telling her, no, you're going to school and say, you know what? If she's not feeling well, then what's one day of letting her stay home and having a sick day and, and learning how to take care of herself. So that's just like a small example of like, there's all these little things like that that pop up. Since getting sober, where if I was still drinking, the combination of probably being extremely anxious in the morning and and still like hungover or whatever it may have been and and wanting to be who everyone trained me to be growing up, because that's why I was anxious. And that's why I fueled the anxiety with alcohol is because I was trying to be this, 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 all these things that I was taught, but they they weren't in alignment with Steph. Like that stuff really didn't believe them. And so, yeah, it's just, it's still a constant thing. It's still an ongoing thing. It's like, I say, it's like an onion. I keep peeling back all these layers of all these things that were instilled in me as a belief or how things should be. But as soon as they come up in sobriety, I'm like, wait a minute. No, it doesn't feel right. I don't really believe that.
1: Wow. You need to be (laughs) very aware to be catching yourself. I'm Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I've been doing, I love self-awareness work and I honestly started doing self-awareness work and spirituality and all of those things while I was a drinker. I know most people, it doesn't hit till after, but I think it's one of the things too, though, that catapulted me into even getting sober because it just it doesn't work when you're drinking alcohol, which is, you know, low vibrating substance. And it's just really hard for you to like get in tune with everything. But, and I, and I've accepted like even this last week when I was on vacation and like negativity and weird beliefs were coming up then, like, this is never going to end. Like, I think there was a point where I was like, I'm just going to figure it all out, figure out who I am and then live this wonderful life. I think it's it's going to just be an evolving thing because beliefs can change too as you evolve you know
1: yes indeed i don't think living a wonderful life is going to be a life without problems
0: right no it's about handling them and in a healthy way
1: yeah because there will always be problems Mm -hmm. always difficulties always challenges in actual fact i'm i'm a lot older than you and uh, so i'm thinking i'm thinking old people type style and um (laughs) I'm at the age now where if I look around, I could, my life could narrow and close down gradually over the next 20 years, or it could open up. And I'm so geared to step away from all the challenges. I've got financial security. I've got autonomy. I've got all sorts. I've got a lot of things that would enable me to step away from challenge. But it's very important, I think, that I step into challenge, which which is not somewhere I want to go. It's uncomfortable. Challenge is uncomfortable. Oh but yeah. If they're real challenges, then they will not be places I want or w- will welcome. But actually I will have to go there in order to and I think that's a huge ingredient in living a full life, which is another way of saying a satisfying life or a happy life.
0: Right. And I feel One like more- I'm 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 definitely living that. You know, like even though I'm someone who thinks I have to have everything figured out right now, I'm slowly accepting that that's not how it's going to be and that I am in a really good place and to like, you know, let's let's lead into the conversation of living in the now and in the present because that's really what it is about, right? Like enjoying the fruits of your labor, enjoying what you have in the moment instead of like I've always been someone like, okay, well what's next? Let's move on to the next thing. Yay! Yeah, great. I achieved this. I figured this out, but now what can I do? And I'm really trying to like pump the brakes on that and mm. and being like, no, like, okay, we achieved it. Now let's, let's enjoy it for a little bit. Like, let's really sit back.
1: So wise, Steph. So wise, because the present is really the only thing that's real. Real. I, mm-hmm. I my wife, she, if she was, she would She's more leaning towards memories. She'll dwell in the past and think about lovely things in the past. And I am all about lists, lists of lists of lists of lists, everything future-looking. Mm-hmm. And my, actually both of us, but just talking about me or you there, you miss you life because life only happens in the now. And uh, in all my planning for mañana, 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 it's all at the cost of now. So I don't actually ever, and and the future not only is it illusionary, but um, pointless planning because it never really unfolds like you plan. And, never.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: and, and if you were to guess the future, we tend to be a bit negative about how we think. Oh, it always is, so, right? So so we drag a fictitious, illusionary shit future into our present and firefight a whole load of shit that doesn't really exist. All at the expense of just stopping and being in the moment and enjoying what is unfolding actually in the moment.
0: Which is amazing because, I mean, even just like sitting here in this moment, right? Like as a podcaster, I'm sure other podcasters, if they hear this, they probably cringe. I just, I don't take a lot of prep time because if I do, I it, it causes anxiety, right? If I start thinking like, what am I going to ask them? What am I going to say? What if they say this? Then I'll say that. Why? Yeah,
1: like no. in the- so good, so good. Slip.
0: I just and jump you are, in.
1: You are doing what I want to do. And I, I'm sort of, I've only done a couple of lives, but I want to get. I think I call it free flowing. I don't know if I, I got that from, but it's from it's from the it's from the reserves that it's not actually from reserves. It's from your inner inner alive creative bit that that you want this your podcast to spring from. I'm the same. I have resisted making any planning for talking to you today, because I could have made an, uh, designed a whole load of strategies. But all that would have done was I, was I was living in the future. Each time I tried to sit down or thought about sitting down and thinking about how I might manipulate the conversation to go, I was in the future. And in the future was a fraught place that just rebounded anxiety into my present. And then That was just going to be so self-defeating. So I purposefully said I'm not preparing for anything. I'll just see where it goes with Steph. Yep. And that's what you're doing. And I think then what comes up and out is is hopefully creative, hopefully useful, real. Authentic. Authentic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it all comes from like wanting to be in control. And I mean, let's think about it. That's what we were. We were totally trying to be in control when we were drinkers. Everything was about being in control. We thought we were controlling the drinking. By the way, we arranged our days, our weeks, our time with it. But were we? No, absolutely I not. think
1: I was a huge control freak outside of drink. And I think I found it so tiring that I went to drink and drugs just to get just to... away
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think
1: I had a, I think I had a traumatic experience when I was two. That I, with my with my father trying to teach me how to do my pajama buttons up, and I think he thought the best, the best way to teach me was just to smash me ar- around the head mm. repeatedly. And I think that little two year old thought he was going to die. And I think I have been mm. firefighting that experience the rest of my life planning, controlling every detail to make sure that I never find myself in a place where I, 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 I will have that vulnerability again. And I think um, all the while creating exactly that probably. Disability. Wow.
0: That's a huge realization and a huge traumatic event. I mean, 2 you were two, you said?
1: Two, yeah. Wow. That. I've been through. I, I know that I have a control thing because... Throughout my work, I, I used to work in advertising. Advertising is just back-to-back meetings, and I'd be fine with meetings for one or two people and myself because I could control the environment. Yeah. But after after a meeting of three people, once it gets to four, five, I had no control, and I would completely, completely freak out and be completely unable to function. Wouldn't even know my own name.
0: Uh, See, so there was a bit of like a shutdown.
1: Total, during... total shutdown. Just sort of just my head just filling with blood and uh, just not being able to hear anything except the beating of my heart and just unable to function. And so I, I've spent, I've, that's, that's 40 years of just trying to manipulate. So I'm never in those situations, but I am changing that. I'm, mm-hmm. Sobriety mm-hmm. is a thing that's been the catalyst that's helped me
2: mm-hmm.
1: change that what you're noticing.
2: I
0: just, you know, it makes I, I've dealt with a lot of things from like my childhood, so this is just like making me think of that. And I've had to do a lot of, like going back to her when she was younger. And like, I've done a lot of work with that, and it's deep work. And I don't know if you've done any like therapy work with that, and I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm just sharing my experience because it it's very profound. I did hypnotherapy. While I was still drinking, um, it was probably about six months before I got sober, I did hypnotherapy and this was a lot of the work I did in hypnosis, um, going back to a traumatic event in my childhood and, and actually injecting myself as an adult into the situation and having a conversation with that younger version of myself and telling her, this gets me emotional every time I talk about it. Sure telling her what she needed to hear in that moment when she was scared and I just like hearing you sorry it just makes me really emotional um hearing you talk about that
1: should I take over yes. <laughs> you <gather yourself> <laughs> yes you gather yourself because um oh my gosh the things that we we recover from that's that's quite fantastic because we have s- You know that experience. I suggested that experience that just jumped to your mind. They're hideous experiences, but we we have come back from those places. I know I've gone. One of my techniques for dealing with my anxiety was I would talk to the two-year-old inside me. Going into that work meeting, I would. It wouldn't be me freaking out. Be that two-year-old, and I would talk to the two-year-old as a fifty-year-old, fifty-five-year-old. Say, look, I've got this. I kind of know what's going on in that room. I know you're in fear for your life but, um, I can cover it. Trust me. And, you know, talk to the two roles. (laughs) I, when I was first told by a therapist to do that, I did think they were off their trolley, but it works.
0: It does. It's, and it's amazing how much it can heal you because you don't even realize how much you're still carrying that because as an adult, you know, better, you know, that that wasn't right. You know, that you, you were not doing anything wrong, but there's still that part of you that's holding on to it. And it's just like, you need to it's a simple, it's, it's really, it's, it sounds so silly, but it's so healing. So healing.
1: I have, I have been through a lot of counseling and um, I've certainly made a lot of headway, but I am now, so back to the here and now. So both those memories we just raised um, were in the past, they don't actually ex- exist. They, they once existed in a present somewhere back in time, but they don't exist anymore. And I don't want to carry that around. I don't want to go there.
0: Right, no. Um,
1: and in the same way, I want to stop myself running ahead of myself and living in, in a whole load of fictitious futures that I'm going to worry about and get anxious about. I want to, I'm trying very hard to be present, to, be, to live uh, in the here and the now and I'm finding it very very exciting and I, uh, you know rather than go back for more therapy and unpack a whole other yeah. traumatic <laughs> traumatic events where my father chose himself to be a really shit dad uh, you know I can just I can just dump it and move on I'm yeah I'm hoping
0: yeah have you so have you read Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now?
1: Fucking love that book I am reading it now mm-hmm. and um, it's sitting right there. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's That book is helping me understand a whole load of other pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that have, I haven't been able to connect. You know, I'm a man of faith. I've been a Christian for a long, long time. But I'm not, I've never been 100% comfortable in the church. So we sort of moved out. I, I'm not a great fan of religion. I'm a great right. fan of God. I'm a great fan of faith but not 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 all the
0: not the, the organization religion. of religion per se.
1: Yeah, not not yeah. all the rules. Right. And, yeah. Uh, that that, I relate to that. To shut down the freedom and life that's in it. Yep. And and yet and yet I know there's a God there. I I, I feel him. I I've, I've walked with him for the best part of 40 years. But reading Eckhart Tolle's book really helps me figure out why I'm uncomfortable with the bits I am uncomfortable in church and why I love the other bits.
0: Yeah, me too. I was raised Catholic, which is another fun belief that I unraveled. I unraveled that a long time ago, but not in a healthy way. Um, So since getting sober, I was able to like, you know, really dig in and, and sort through it. And I agree with you. It's, I always struggled with the rules and the fact that, well, if you break the rule, then you have to go And confess that. So there's shame. There's just a lot of shame and guilt wrapped up into that religion per se. That's how it made me feel: shame, ashamed of myself. This constant, you know, you're always supposed to be asking for forgiveness. And I'm like you. I believe that there is something bigger than us. And I believe that that I believe in having spirit guides. I'm a very spiritual person. I talk to my spirit guides all the time. Um, I'm really into that kind of stuff. And I have read that book. I've also read um, his, a new earth, which is really good too. Um, and actually now I kind of want to, I I actually listen to those type of books. I, I need to re-listen to the power of now because it's been a while, but um, it does. It just opens your eyes to the freedom of creating your own. Cause spirituality I feel is very personal and it, you need to create what works for you and what your beliefs are. And then it just turned into this beautiful thing for me and something that I really do lean on in sobriety and in life is my spirituality.
1: Spirituality, is, that's one of those words. I don't, I'm, I would struggle to sum it up now. I, I would have said something completely different a few months ago, but I'm now coming to the place where, you know, you say it's something very personal. I think, of course it's personal because it involves us, but I I think we're not, we're no strangers to the idea that God is omnipresent, so we're all connected by that, by that thread, which right there means suddenly it's not really that personal because we're all connected.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: it's how we find it, I suppose.
0: Yes. Yeah. The way I practice it or the way I connect can be way different than someone else is what I'm saying, but it doesn't mean it's wrong where in organized religion, there's one way. And if you're not doing it that way, they make you feel like you're not good enough. You're not loved. You're not worthy where I love. That's what I love about spirituality. It's whatever works for you. You are always enough. You are love and light and joy and all of those things. And so however that works for you, whether it's through meditation, where it's through prayer, where it's through, you know, however that works. That's what I love. The freedom of doing it your way.
1: So how do you do it? Is it meditation?
0: Is um, it- i It's meditation. I have a lot of, signs like agreed upon signs between me and my guides that they can show me the number 34 is one of them so if I see the number 34 which I see a lot during times of transition in my life it's their way of letting me know that like they're here they're supporting me everything's going the way it's supposed to be to believe in the process it's like that kind of a thing Um, I have these angel cards. They're not tarot cards, but they're just angel cards that have different messages on them. And I use those for my guides to give me messages. And when I'm feeling lost or defeated, um, those are the main things that I use.
1: And how often do you use them?
0: It's kind of as needed, you know, like I just kind of go with how I'm feeling at least once a week with the cards, sometimes more, like I said, it just depends on if there's a lot of challenging things going on or a lot of things that I feel lost about meditation, I need to do more of. I do that in spurts. And for me, meditation is all about creating the time to do it because the busier I am, it is something that I will put off. And I'm not proud to say that because when I do it, I'm always like, damn it, you need to do this more because I just feel so much more grounded and
1: it's, it's so. Uh- It'll always be when you need it most is when you'll find least time available. Yep. Because meditation just it just slows down your thoughts, doesn't it? It just it um, untangles the the hubbub that's going on mm-hmm. in, our, in our heads. I would have used alcohol in the past to to deal with that that crazy maelstrom of everything going on in my head, but meditation is a very nice alternative. Just mm-hmm. to dial
0: do it down. Do you use guided meditations? Do you have? Yep,
1: I use. I, I, me too. I am so young in all of this that I won't say no to anything. But so I've, I've got. I've got an app, Waking Up, Sam Harris. I like that. Um, I'm using. I, I might go onto YouTube and yeah. find some some things there. Uh, my son, my son, is the first person to guide me in a in a in a meditation. He's ahead of me in these sorts of matters. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll use everything and anything that's going. I, I really, am, I'm fascinated. I'm still young in this practice and I'm enjoying what it's brought me so far. So I've got high hopes to develop it.
0: Yeah, I love meditation. And I, I probably, I used the Calm app at the beginning when I first started yeah. meditating. I really enjoyed that one. Now I just kind of hop on YouTube and like whatever I'm feeling, I just type that in and put meditation after it <laughs> and then go with it. And there's some really good ones out there. It's a great resource, honestly, like, and they're free. And
1: I have started trying to bring meditation and this practice of being present into my workouts. So when I'm, you know, it's, you're a big workout girl aren't mm-hmm, you? mm-hmm. in your garage there. Um, so, you know, when you're really having to push past your comfort zone, it's I, I'm experimenting with trying to sh- take my, mind to that inner place of peace so that i stop thinking about what i'm doing so i can push harder and faster or harder through it
0: i'll have to try that yeah what do you do for workouts when you say you're pushing through what type of workouts do you do
1: i will i will always start with i I know this isn't correct but i always it's the way i like to do it i start with cardio so i will run for half an hour. But um an actual fact, I'm sure I'm the laughing stock of my gym because I don't actually run, I dance. Because I think <laughs> my, I thought to myself early on, I think um I don't really like running. But I love dancing. So I just oh. I, I put I put the music on and I dance on that treadmill. And I could be in the Okay,
0: classroom. you gotta video this. I have to see this. Like I can't even <laughs> envision dancing on a treadmill. That takes some coordination.
1: It, it, there's a lot of skipping and jumping in and I haven't quite got to the place I, I I won't do this where but I wanted to do a little spin but I know that'll just end up like a car crash so I don't do that <laughs> but um, you know just a, a lot of skipping jumping double jumping just just in with the music and so that that's how I start my workout but if I'm just not in a dancey mood and I'm just working out just running. Then I will do that meditation thing. I then move to abs. And, um, you know, if I'm going to sit in a plank for a while, I will take my mind elsewhere. Those are hard. Yeah. And just see how many minutes go past whilst I'm away with the fairies. Um, And again, um, you know, I've got certain exercises that I really, then I move into the weight section. And Mm -hmm. I personally have, you know, I I do not like squats and I do not like pull-ups. Both of those are my pain place, which is just full of disappointment. So again, I try, I'm trying to meditate through those so that I just get the job done and hopefully my muscles will grow and then it won't be such a trial.
0: Yeah, I know it's a struggle, but it feels good when you're done. It's one of those, it's one of those good dopamine things, you know, like that we really do need. Cause it gives you that lasting, more sustainable dopamine. Cause you got to work for it. Alcohol. Yeah. You didn't have to work for it.
1: Well, it was a lot of prep, a lot of organizing.
0: <laughs> yeah. But other than that, it's pretty
1: quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, You haven't asked me about the party.
0: Yes. The party.
1: Party. So my friend turned 50. He's He's my wealthy friend and he's my generous friend. And so he thought, the best way of celebrating his 50th was to rent this enormous country mansion and fill it with his friends. And I was invited. So classic anxiety thing for me, he's the, the the crowd is a big party crowd. How many people are we talking? 35.
0: Holy crap.
1: 35 people and, um, hardcore partyites. So every, every pill, powder, smoke, and enormous quantities of hard liquor just were just trucked in and um three of them are big music people so a crazy dance floor with smoke and lasers and basically an all-night rave every night and um after a whole day of drinking so um that was my environment And uh, of course... My
0: heart is racing right now just even listening to this. I have to be
1: honest. All my my anxieties in the past would have been right there and um, I would have got immediately smashed just to to fit in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, I have to say, I had an absolutely, phenomenally fantastic party. I loved every minute of it. I was with my wife. She also was sober. And um, I reckon everybody thought I was drunk because I just entered into the spirit of the party, pardon the pun. Uh, sit, I I did that living in the present moment. I just refused to think of the future. I refused to think, Oh, I'm going to embarrass myself. Oh, I don't fit in. I I'd shut down all those voices that said I was negative voices that would have me feeling shy about myself. And I just, I just went for it. And um, on the dance floor, I, um, I, I, you know, I pounded that floor as much as anybody else. I think the difference is, <laughs> in fact, I think I was probably a bit more crazy than anyone else. Because yeah. you're like, in. no
0: one else is even going to remember this. So who cares?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I should have had that logic. That would have helped. But I, I didn't even go there. But, do you know, I think, I think I probably had more fun than anyone else because I was present.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, we were
1: all on the dance floor doing crazy stuff. But I was the only one not off my head. Uh, I wasn't even like joking, oh off I'm off my head on my own drugs. I was just fully present, thinking, I really like dancing in this cr- in this mood and this. And so the difference is Karina and I went to bed about 1:30, you know, from the, the dancing started about eight. So that was a really I was absolutely drenched and time to hit the shower and go to bed. And they would go on till five in the morning. But when I woke up and took made my coffee when I sat in the sunshine and meditated and read my books and did my journal feeling so good to be alive they were still in bed racked in pain trying to think how am i going to drag my sorry ass out of bed and um, so it was such a success for me this party because i strongly suspected i'd be fine but mm-hmm. now i have it completely confirmed that i did not need those i did not need to go down those routes to be fully involved and have a great time.
0: Yeah. You proved to yourself that it really wasn't the drugs and alcohol that made it fun.
1: And I hope I proved to other people. I hope I flew the flag for sobriety. You because did. Of course, that's something I'm sure this is why you do your podcast and, and why we all post up on Instagram is because we've, we found this truth, this really, really, really fantastic truth. And we have a heart for anybody who who's in the midst of it because we've been there.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: know what it's like to be there. We know it's not all the roses that it looks like on the surface, and um, so we want we want to bring this this cool thing to our brothers and sisters who are still we um, do in the, uh, you know in that other place.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you like you even describing you knew exactly what they were feeling the next day in contrast to what you were feeling. And it's like, there's this sense of like, oh my God, I just don't ever want to feel that way again. And then you see them and you know what they're feeling. And I don't know, some people, I feel like some people like to play it off. Like they're not as bad as they are because they just want to get on with it. But you know, deep down, you're like, oh, you've got to be feeling like complete shit. Like there's no way you're okay.
1: And so- People talk about the hangover and oh, a, a lot of people post about, oh, I'm so great. at Sunday morning. I feel great. But for me, that's, that was just always the tip of the iceberg because behind that was all the, was all the, sh- the shame, mm-hmm. was all the disappointment, was all the failure, was all the wanting to exist in another way and, and being trapped in the way life was unfolding. That was, that was far worse than the, the hangover, which the physical, you know, yeah. Was, drop a few ibuprofen, drink some water, have a fried breakfast and get on with it. But the the, the, the being trapped in the lifestyle of drink and drugs, that's mm-hmm. that's also what I see when I yeah. see people, you know, putting on the smile that they don't really mean or feel best foot forward. I mean, I have such huge respect for them because I I get it. It takes a lot of power to push through and um but yeah yeah
0: been there i would have been getting up and having a mimosa straight away before the hangover would kick in that's kind of how i would function in those days because there was a fine line for me before because i wouldn't i would drink so much and go to bed that i would wake up still drunk so a lot of times I would wake up I wasn't hungover yet and those were the good days I shouldn't say good days but in my addictive mind those were the good days because then I could just get up and start drinking and I never had to feel the hangover or the anxiety or anything I could just kind of keep keep it going and it was a weekend where I did that when I really like I remember looking myself at myself in the mirror not even recognizing myself and just saying like you have a problem like if you have to drink to not get sick. Stephanie, that's addiction. Like, hello, you know this. So that was a big wake up for me.
1: Was that, was that the moment you began to make a change?
0: It, it is. It's around the time that I started. It was, it wasn't too long after hypnosis. I did hypnosis in like June and this was, it was actually 4th of July weekend, which is a big weekend here in the States. And it was that weekend that I just, I bendered like I've never before never got hung over, but was never sober the whole entire weekend. And then that's when I just really, like, every time I drank, I started, I finally was, like, realizing that it, like, it took me that long to realize because I started drinking at 14. I was 41 at the time. It took me that long to realize, oh, my God, I really do have a problem. But that's how slowly it progresses. Like, it just, over time.
1: And also, I seem to remember, it's funny how much we forget once we get into this new life of sobriety, but uh, I'm remembering things. I'm remembering not being able to imagine life without alcohol. I mean, it was a ridiculous thought. Ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, who, only complete losers or people with no ability to live or weaklings would even consider not drinking because why? I am I'm, I'm right. I just couldn't. I could never, couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, go to the pub go to a birthday party, go to a dinner, go, you know, there's just the list was endless.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I like walking in the wild what, and not go to the pub at the end. Ridiculous. You know, um, couldn't imagine. It was imagine. a
0: reward for everything.
1: It was, it was a being
0: an adult. It was, it was so many things wrapped up into it.
1: It was, just, I mean, you're right. It was just a huge imperative ingredient in life. And the thought of taking it out, I didn't actually really think it was possible I really didn't think it was possible how stupid is that I mean it's not stupid but how wrong is that No, so possible not only was it possible but everything improved everything got better and it's still getting better
0: thank you for listening to the podcast today remember I am just a woman on a mission to normalize sobriety and living a sober lifestyle I am not a licensed therapist or a doctor Please, if alcohol is causing serious physical or mental health issues, seek professional help. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to hit follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, leaving a five-star review will help this podcast reach more people like you in the sober community. It's an easy way to spread the word in normalizing a sober lifestyle. You should never feel alone in sobriety, so feel free to reach out to me via email or through my Instagram account at thisisstephsober. Links to both are listed in the show notes.